We're walking through the book of Matthew together, the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in this series walking through the book of Matthew for a long time. And, uh, and it's going to keep going a long time. And so uh, it looks like we're going to wrap up right around Easter, and, uh, which will be wonderful. Uh, but I've, I've really loved it. I hope you've enjoyed yourself through this series, too. And uh, I've had a great time through it. Uh, it's been such a good reminder for me what really tr- truly counts, what really matters. And so uh, today, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 14. And uh, we're actually going to walk through this, pretty much this whole chapter uh, together. And uh, just to give you uh, a little um, oversight on it. Uh, it, it is um, one really monumental, significant event after another. And uh, some of the, the things that you think of in terms of the ministry and miracles of Jesus, uh, these are some of like the top 10 uh, that all happened in sequential order in chapter 14. And so uh, I have personally uh, been preaching for, oh man, 25 years. And uh, I've, I've visited every one of these moments and events uh, many, many times. And I've always taken time to kind of look at each uh, historic, monumental, significant event on its own and, and expound upon it, talk about the, 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 all the details of that story. Um, but this week, I, I was struck by um, how all these stories roll together and, and there's actually a beautiful thing happening. There's a picture being painted uh, in, in the life and ministry of Jesus throughout this chapter. And it's giving this uh, amazing uh, picture of the human experience. And, and he is, he's shedding light on the, 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 tr- the trials and the, the tribulations, the pain and the loneliness and the difficulties and the struggles that we all face as human beings, the things that we face and we have to walk through. Uh, this chapter really uh, illuminates that in such a vivid way and, and, and shows us how close Jesus is uh, with us and to us through all of these struggles. And so I, I just want to walk through these together today. It won't take us long. And so uh, I think it'll be fun. Uh, we're going to start in, um, in verse 13. Uh, I wasn't, I, I, I should have just started verse one. I was like, I'll skip over some of the details, but, but then I changed my mind this morning on the way here. So here we are. Uh, God, God changed my mind for me. And so, um, but just to set it up, we don't have to read it. Uh, so we, we learned in, in the early chapters of, of this book of Matthew, we learned of this guy named John the Baptist, uh, it, more accurately, John the Baptizer. And, uh, and so John was uh, a family member of Jesus. They were cousins. John was a smidge older, and, uh, and he was a forerunner. He was laying the track of the ministry of Christ. In fact, the ministry of Jesus really took off and began after John was arrested. And the reason John was arrested was because this was someone who didn't pull punches. Uh, He was very outspoken, and he spoke out publicly against Herod Antipas, who was the ruler over the, the, the region of Galilee, which is where they were, where Jesus is from. 
And uh, uh, Antipas, Herod Antipas, you recognize the name Herod. He was the son of Herod the Great, who uh, actually ordered all the children to be uh, to be killed uh, because he was trying to eliminate the potential coming king of the Jews. And so uh, Antipas was a, a very corrupt individual. And, uh, and so he was uh, given a license to rule over this region through the Roman government. He had, a, he had a plea to Caesar for his position there. And so he's always trying to not only gain power, uh, exploit power, but also uh, keep the Roman government off his back and, and keep in their good graces. And so uh, he, he was, uh, unfortunately, uh, had, had seduced and married his brother-in-law's wife, uh, wh- whose name was Herodias. And so he had uh, married her. And John the Baptist decided, listen, if you're going to rule over the Jewish people, you, you have to abide by the Jewish law, and this is not okay. And so he spoke out about it. He said, that, that's not right. You marrying your brother-in-law's wife, buddy, that's not okay. And so he spoke out about it. And so here's uh, Herod Antipas, and he's like, okay, I can't have this negative publicity. I can't have people uh, diminishing my authority. And, and truthfully, he saw this as a potential uprising. And so he had John arrested. So John spends time in prison. <clears throat> now, by this time, of course, Jesus has been healing, ministering, doing amazing miracles, and, uh, and he's been on the scene for a little while. And, uh, and so, but there was a scene that starts off here in, in Matthew chapter 14, where uh, we find out that uh, John is dead. Uh, John was killed, and uh, Herod Antipas is hearing this amazing folklore of this human being ministering, performing miracles. And his thought is, this is uh, John the Baptist who has been resurrected to, to new life. So he, he thinks Jesus is John the Baptist, come back to life. And so it's a weird thought. And so what had happened to the, how John died was he, uh, he didn't want to execute John because, again, he could have an uprising. Uh, this is a very influential person. Uh, also, he's got the Roman government on his, on his shoulders. So he is not going to be making knee-jerk uh, decisions. But uh, he, he leaves it up to the daughter of Herodias. Uh, she dances before him and, uh, and, and finds favor in his eyes. And he says, hey, uh, young lady, you get to have a wish, anything you want in the whole world. And so Herodias, her mom, whispers in her ear, hey, you know what you really want? This prisoner's head on a silver platter, which is a weird thing to put on your Christmas list. I don't think this is actually what the girl wanted. She probably wanted like Ugg boots or uh, Taylor Swift tickets uh, or a, uh, a poster of Ralph Macchio. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of anybody, a, a, a celebrity who wasn't 65 years old. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> Ralph Macchio, what am I doing? Uh, she wanted, I'm sure she wanted something else other than some, some guy's head on a platter. I didn't want that. Uh, so uh, John's killed because Antipas is offended and, and wanted that to happen. Jesus gets word, and so that's where we pick up. So that's the, the Reader's Digest version. And so starting in verse 13, Jesus hears about the death of John. So here we go. 
Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat uh, to a, a schedule, a secluded schedule, a secluded place by himself. And when he, people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when we, uh, he went to shore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Jesus is grieving. And, uh, and I know we know the famous verse, Jesus wept, and, and he grieved loss over Lazarus. He, he, this is part of who he is, and I, I think it's easy to forget that fully God became fully human, and he felt these, these feelings of sadness. I mean, he knows a story. He knows John's going to spend eternity with him, with the Father, and, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's, but it's still heartbreaking. It's loss. And, uh, and so he is grieving. And so uh, I'm, I'm reading this, uh, this, these passages this particular week, and, and I'm struck by how uh, this is not a savior. Uh, this is not someone, a, a high priest who can't identify with us, who can't relate to us. And so the heartache and the grief and the sadness that we feel, Jesus feels it too. He's present in that. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm watching this unfold, and, and he is absolutely heartbroken because uh, this is family. This is someone that he respected. He, called, he said, no greater man's ever been born to a woman. This is someone who he had deep respect for. And, and, and honestly, he's killed because he's preaching the truth of God's word. So <laughs> there's got to be some, some like feelings of responsibility in there, too. And so this is a, a sad point of grief for him. And so he is, he's grieving. And, and, and truthfully, I, I'm seeing him do this because, not just because he's sad, but because we all are at times. And he meets us there. And so he knows how to get there. He knows the directions to grief and to grieving because he's been there. And so he sits with us in that, in the middle of his grief. He turns around and he cannot get away from the crowds at this point. They are following him. They are relentless. And they are, they are actually bringing their sick friends, their sick family members, because they've heard, if you can just get near this guy, if you can just touch his robe, you're healed. And so out of desperation, people are, are following him. And so uh, instead of Jesus doing what I would do and say, can I get a minute? Leave me alone. I'm sad. He is moved by compassion, as the Bible describes. And so what, is, uh, what takes over the place, even of his own personal grief, is compassion for others. And so uh, this is a picture that Jesus is ever-present with us in our time of grief, in our time of heart, heartbreak and sadness, but he's also very very much with us and present in our time of need. And so these, these are folks, individuals in need. They need him. They are desperate. And so he's with us in that. He meets us in our need. So whether you're facing tragedy or you're, 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 up, you're up against uh, some bills that you have no idea how are going to happen, how are, how are you going to pay them, some obstacles, some, 
some troubles. Maybe you're uh, facing some things physically, uh, emotionally. You're going through some things that are just absolutely um, uh, debilitating for you. Jesus, he's moved by compassion to address those things in our lives. This goes on in, in, in verse 15. And uh, again, we're gonna, this is all very familiar stuff. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. The hour is already late. It's getting, it's getting late. So send the crowds away so they can go into the villages, buy food for themselves. They can hit McDonald's. They can hit Chick-fil-A. And Jesus said to him, They don't need to go. They don't need to go away. Uh, you give them something to eat. <laughs> like we got, got nothing. We have, we have here five loaves, two fish. And he said, bring them here, ordering the people to sit down in the grass. He took five loaves, two fish, and looking toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves. He gave them uh, to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and they all were satisfied. They all had plenty to eat and they picked up what was left over and for, uh, of the broken pieces, the 12 full baskets uh, they had of leftovers. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. So 5,000 people, not counting women and children. So roughly, I don't know, 15,000 people, a crowd of people. And, uh, and Jesus says, uh, we got it. We, we, get, we can get this catered. What do we got? Five loaves, two fish. <laughs> Doesn't sound like enough to me. Um, I know caterers over, always overdo it. So uh, when you ask for uh, catering for 100, uh, you'll get 120 out of it. So maybe there's a little fluff in there. But uh, I, I don't think this is quite enough for 15,000 humans. Um, this is a, an amazing story. And again, I've spent a lot of time just talking about this. And I do want to highlight just a couple things. Um, first and foremost, there, there is a principle involved here. And, uh, and, and I want to read, this is a prayer uh, or, or one of the best verses about prayer in the Bible for me. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God who surpasses understanding will will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a principle here that is super important, and that is this idea of praying for what you need, but, but for with thanksgiving for what you have. Pray for what you need with thanksgiving. Prayer and supplication, that's I, I need. I'm in need. I have, I have lack. I need God to intervene. But with thanksgiving is not for what you need, and you can say, what's well, future tense? I'll be thankful when I get it. But it's still, it's thankful for what you have. To be thankful is to uh, the old adage, count your blessings. So uh, here's a story where the disciples are like, we're tired. It's been a long day. Can we send the people home and let them fend for themselves? These are grownups. Let them go uh, their individual ways to their individual homes and let them get their own food. Now, this is a very common human mentality. Uh, I'll take care of me. You take care of you. That's the way the world works. In fact, I would say that that sensibility is being turned up. And so individualism is probably an all time high in our current modern uh, age. 
Uh, I've met with, over the last couple weeks, I've met with five pastors, local pastors, and, uh, and we've had great conversations over coffee and, and just encouraging each other. And uh, there's a commonality uh, in every conversation that I've had, whether it's the local guys, I've got friends who are out of town that we've talked over the phone. And, and, uh, and there's something that is coming up over and over and over for all, all people involved in any form of ministry. I'll have, I have an, uh, had a, a wonderful conversation with someone uh, the other day whose father is a minister and uh, they were securing an event here, and uh, and we got talking, and it came up again. It just it's it's it is ubiquitous this issue and this sensibility in the church, outside the church, uh, causing the church to have to uh, to adjust. And that is, people are very much noncommittal, individualistic, and I don't want to I don't want to do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. There's even a point where uh, gym memberships are going monthly, month to month. There's, there's, there's leases. There's a commercial lease uh, 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 area in town that I just read an article. They're going monthly, month to month on their commercial leases, which is unheard of. Why is that? Because I don't want to commit. I don't want to really commit. I, I kind of want to just go where the wind takes me, but it's how I feel personally, individualistic. It's, it's just about me. So there's a lot of culture pushing people that way to say, prioritize, centralize you, and let everybody else take a back seat. So what does Jesus do in the face of that mentality? Let them just go for for themselves. He says, no, 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 they need to all come to me. And then he he starts doing this thing where he, he allows... Uh, in, this story is in all four Gospels, which is rare. Every single one, of the, even John has this story in it. In fact, John points out the fact that the, where do they get the loaves and the fish? This little boy's lunchbox. Mom packed him a lunch. Here, buddy, you can put you a little snack pack in there, juice box. Put a little note in there. Have fun at the, have fun at the Jesus meeting. <laughs> And so he opens this lunchbox when they're looking for food. He's like, I got some stuff. You can have it. Here's a kid out of the mouths of babes. Here's a kid who just says, I'll share. <laughs> I don't know if it's enough or not. I'm not great at math. But uh, here you go. So then Jesus uses what someone brings to bless everybody else. This is a... This is how the kingdom of God works on the earth. This is a picture. This isn't just a cute, clever story that we see in children's Bibles. This is, this is Jesus making a statement. In fact, uh, the disciples didn't come with their own stuff. They didn't say, hey, I got some stuff. But at the end of the story, they did. The Twelve baskets, that, that was the same number as the, the, the apostles. <laughs> it's like, now you, got, now you got your own. Now you can share that. But Jesus takes what's small and insignificant, and of course, in Jesus' fashion, multiplies it and makes it impactful. So I look at myself as the, the goofy kid, and I, got, I still have my lunchbox from when I was in elementary school, uh, and I still bring it to work sometimes. It's, it's a He-Man lunchbox. I think that's cool, but whatever. You can make fun of me. So I, 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 I'm the kid with a lunchbox, and I don't have much. 
I'm, I'm 46 years old. I just turned 46. I'm 46 years old, and I promise you, I'm not just saying this, I still don't know what I'm good at. I have no idea. I'm still working on that. In fact, I've, I've almost just conceded and say, I, I don't really care as much anymore what I'm good at. I'm just, I'm, I just want to be available in the moment. What do you, what do you, what, God, what do you need me to do here? I'm not good at changing tires. I'm not very mechanical, but I see someone with a flat tire. Uh, I can help. And so I want to just, I, I, I like to be just present, but in it, I, but bigger picture, I don't really know what I'm efficient at and good at. I don't have that amazing gift that so many people do. Some people, so many people have a clear idea of what they're good at. Something that, that they are efficient at. Well, whether you know or you don't, whatever that is, it's not insignificant because Jesus can do miraculous things with it. That's this whole story. What do you got? I care. I can use that. What do you got? Well, I like to write. I can use that. He, he uses it and he'll bless you. Everyone ate here. The apostles got leftovers. They took stuff home in Tupperware. But he blesses everybody else with it. He builds them up. That's the body of Christ. This is a picture of the body of Christ. To pray for what you need, but also be very thankful for what you have and say, Jesus, I brought, I brought my lunch. Can, can I use this? Can I share this? Can I help? It's beautiful. But in this, we see a picture of Jesus being miraculous, being present in our lack. He's met us in our grief. He's met us in our need. And he meets us in our lack. These people are hungry. And they don't have food. The, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't, let's look at the birds in the air. Look at the birds. Look at the bird. Look at the bird. The birds don't toil. They don't strain. They don't strife. But your father in heaven feeds them. He's not their father. He's not the bird dad. He's just, he's their creator. But they're birds. How much more does he care about his own children? I, I made a promise to myself, to my wife, in the last year, year and a half. I will never stress about money again. <laughs> Let me tell you how that's going. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's not going well. But l- let me say this. <laughs> um, I know in my knower, there's a deep knowing within me that knows, man, he has shown up every single time without fail. My gosh, he's shown up every single time. And yet 99 times he's shown up and that hundredth time I'm like, I don't know. And you're laughing at me, but you, you do that too. We all do this. In fact, I think that's a great way to segue to the next story. He just did something completely amazing. I mean, if you're not believing in this, in this Savior yet after that, I mean, I don't know what's going on, but, but check this out. This is Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Another story you're going to recognize. Immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him. Uh, to the other side, probably just needed a break from these guys. Uh, While well, he sent the crowds away, 
After he sensed the crowds away, he went up uh, on the mountain by himself to pray. And it was evening. He was there alone, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. <laughs> Love that phrasing. The wind was contrary that day. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come onto the water with you. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, can you see wind? No. Seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. We've all heard this story. I have preached this story 650 flagillion times. Um, but consider this as a, uh, uh, just a follow-up of the loaves and fish um, event. He just performed the most staggering, awe-inspiring, obvious miracle ever. And yet, here's Peter, who's like, I, I, the wind, the waves are more real to me right now than you. And so uh, Jesus asks him, so where's your faith at? The faith that you just had watching miracles happen, where's that at? Now, here's the reality. We're going to have faith sometimes. But a lot of times, and unfortunately when we really, really need it, it takes the back door and it's gone. Even when he proves himself over and over and over and over, where you're in the middle of it. And I love this phrase, when you can see the wind. (laughs) I can't see wind. It's real enough in your face you're seeing the wind. I mean, that's how real this is. So he's with us in our need. He's in us. He's with us in our lack. He's with us in our grief. He's, He's with us in our storms. He's with us when the wind is, is in our face, when the waves are huge, when it's insurmountable. And I'll put it this way. Jesus is always with us when fear begins to overwhelm faith because it happens all the time. And I used to feel very uh, discouraged and, of course, I've, I've had a lifetime of being very hard on myself. And so to experience fear, overwhelming faith, that's not a good feeling for a believer to walk through. I mean, you feel defeated. You feel dejected. Like, I had one job. You have one job. In fact, when the disciples say, I just, give me all the works. Give me all the, the to-dos. What can I do to work the works of God? Jesus gives them one job. 
Believe in him who is sent. Believe in me. That's it. That's your job. What happens when that one job gets overwhelmed by circumstances? And it's stuff that in hindsight you look back you're like, why did that bother me so bad? Well, Because it's a storm. And let's, let's look at this objectively. Peter was not exactly in a comfortable position. He's walking. He's doing something no human being has ever done before. He's walking. He's out there on the storm, like walking on top of it. So, yes, there's a lot of vulnerability. Yes, there has to be a lot of fear. And you can look at this, this story and say, it would have been safer in the boat, would it? That storm is big. It doesn't matter if you're standing on the water, standing on the water, on your head, in the boat, in a box with a fox, eating bagels and locks. It doesn't matter. Which, it doesn't matter. It's, going, it's, it's over. It is bigger than you. The storm is bigger than you. Life is bigger than you. What you're facing is bigger than you. But it's not bigger than Jesus. And I think that's the whole point that he opens Peter's eyes to. He said, guys, and the guys in the boat, they began worshiping because they had the same revelation. They were on the front row, and they watched this whole thing unfurl, and they were like, wait a minute, you're definitely the son of God. And they began to worship him because they realized in that moment, as big, the biggest thing we can think of is this storm that we're facing right now. But even bigger than that is Jesus. Even bigger than what we're facing. I'll go back to Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. How is that even possible? Because what you're facing is minuscule in comparison to Christ. In fact, I don't even think Philippians 4 is, a, is an indictment to say, hey, are you being anxious? No. I think it's more to say, you don't need to be anxious anymore. Now, it's gonna, that's going to happen. But you don't need to be. You can actually take that worry, take that care, and cast it upon him because he cares for you. It's beautiful. Jesus is with us. Even when he prays alone, it's a picture of being present in communion with God alone with us. That even where we're alone, even those feelings of being alone, he's with us in that. He's present. Jesus, it says Jesus went to be alone. But was he? No, he's communing with the Father. You're never left or forsaken. You're never alone. You're never in this alone. There there is a a principle in life that, that stings more and more as I've gotten older. And that is people come and people go. Friends come and friends go. Relationships come, relationships go. It's like, it's the ebbing of, it's the the tide. Uh, I just connected with um, the widow of one of my uh, best friends who passed away a couple years ago. And, And we had a great time talking about his memory and where we still think of him. And in fact, we were talking, and, and over the radio, for whatever reason, here comes this random song. It's an album that I bought him, and she calls those winks. So she said, that's a wink. 
from Dave. And so uh, Dave was uh, a great friend. And when he passed, I felt grief, I felt sadness, I still do, but I also got mad. I was like, God, this, this, this is not, you, you made a mistake here. You messed up here. And, but even in that moment, I feel him rushing in to love me, to restore me, and to remind me that he's got me. I, I grew up in, a, in Christianity, of, a version of Christianity that would proclaim that if you just make a decision to follow Jesus, everything will become tulips and daisies. You will start singing like Tiny Tim with a ukulele. Tiptoe through the tulips. You will be absolutely enchanted. It will be, you will be a Disney character. Birds will land on your shoulder. Mice will make you a dress. It... <laughs> and then I read the Bible because that part that that's that wasn't working out for me and I didn't see the the I didn't see the proof of that. And then I'm reading the Bible more closely and I'm like this isn't that's not what it says. It kind of says the opposite. In fact, Jesus makes a, a a statement to his disciples. He says, "Guys, listen. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be tough. It's going to hurt. It's going to scare you. It's going to take from you. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But then he, then he brings encouragement to it. He says, but take heart. Be encouraged. Because I've overcome all of this. There is a happy ending to the story. Um, there's a, a beautiful line from uh, the Lord of the Rings that Jesus, he didn't say in context of Jesus, but I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing it from Gandalf and making it about Jesus. He will make everything sad become untrue. I love what AJ said this morning. All, no more tears, no more sadness, no more grief. He's making everything sad come untrue. And so I used to believe that Jesus would rescue me from every potential hurt and pain. But as I've gotten older, I've realized he doesn't always rescue me from all the hurt and the pain, but he rescues, he rescues me in it. He's with me in it. He's my ever-present help in time of need. And here's the beauty. Even when I'm faithless... He is faithful. Even when I'm clueless, he's clued in. Even when I'm distraught, he's magnanimous. He shows up ready for action. Even when I feel broken, he's there to help me put the pieces together and remind me that I am whole in him. I love the statement that the disciples make. It was, a, it was a revelation. This is not them connecting the dots. This is not an intellectual destination. This is not, they weren't reading a book, a self-help book on the boat. 
something awakened on the inside of them, and they said this, you are certainly God's son. And this is the point of what I want to I end on today. And I love that we sang the song, Emmanuel, God with us. If this is God's son, he's with them. He's present. To say you're God's son is to say God's son is with me. Now, they'll lose sight of this again and again and again and again. They'll have Jesus in physical form and still lose sight of this. But though they are faithless, he is faithful. We are continually and perpetually Peter stepping out of the boat, walking on water. We're in over our heads. We're not in control. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, we sink. And we feel it. But when you fix your eyes on him, there's something that is supernatural that carries us. One of the pastors I met with, we had coffee. And we were talking about our last seasons together. Uh, you know, what's been going on. And I said, I have never felt, I, I, my, my grandmother had the, uh, the footprints in the sand uh, thing up. Um, she hung it on the wall, which is such a silly cliche, right? It's become such a cliche. I only saw one set of footprints because Jesus carried me. <laughs> Holy is the Lord. I've gotten older and I think I'm, I'm becoming a senior citizen, and um, I mean, I was born in the 1900s. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm falling in love with that, that, that poem. <laughs> I want to hang it up in my house. And because I told my friend at, at coffee, I said, man, I've never felt more carried in my entire life. I feel carried. I don't feel efficient. I don't feel proficient. I feel no boasting or boasting or, or any sort of that kind of stuff in me anymore. Uh, there's a, a great author, Robert Cape, and he says, preachers should, should have no more, uh, no more pride left to preach. <laughs> they should be empty vessels. And I think it's like toothpaste in a tomb. It's being squeezed out of me. But it's a beautiful thing because... To be carried by Christ is exactly where you want to be. Not my strength, his. And we are perpetually the rescued. We're Peter. We're always the rescued. We never outgrow being the rescued. And so that is a revelation that these disciples had. They, they realized you are the son of God who rescues us. I'll close with this. The first chapter of Matthew, if you go back to the beginning of this book, we're going to focus in on this in a few weeks, our Christmas Eve service. Um, But this is just one, one verse, verse 23, chapter 1. Behold, the virgin Mary shall be with child, and she will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us.
The book of Matthew ends in chapter 28, verse 20. This is how it all wraps up. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It begins, God's with us, and it ends, he's still with us. And I will always be with you to the end of the age. This, this whole chapter, walking through it, I saw myself, I identified. These are historical, amazing events in a, in a, in a far-off place, in a far-off time, people dealing with circumstances that are not my everyday circumstances. I, I can't remember one time going to, uh, going to Chick-fil-A and saying, um, I know you guys only have a couple of nuggets left. Can you multiply those for the rest of the people in the line? It just, that stuff doesn't come up. I've never, I've, I've never been on the Tennessee River and said, my wife's on the other side, on the North Shore. I need, to, I need to be where she is. I will walk across the water. God, meet me there. These are unusual, amazing moments. But I, I feel a part of them. I, I, I'm in that. I'm in there. Because I can identify with, not necessarily the circumstances, but I can identify with the feelings of being in need and being, lack, and being in lack and being in grief and, and being in a place where I need God to show up so big that my fear is overwhelmed by his, his love as opposed to my faith being overwhelmed by my fear. I need the reality of this. And where is the reality in this? The reality is... The simple fact that God is with you. He's always with you. You can't run, outrun him. You can't shake it. You can't break it. The Bible says in Romans that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. It goes through this whole litany of things. Oh, you thought that could? It can't. I'll sum it up. Uh, The French translation of the Bible what can separate you from the love of God? Jacques Didley. It's the French translation. Because Jacques. Okay. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing that can separate you. God is with you. And this is my encouragement. May the greatest reality of our life not be... What our paycheck says, not what the bills say, not what the doctor says, not what our friends say, certainly not what the news says. May the greatest reality of our life be what he says, and that is that he will never leave us or forsake us. The God, the God of the universe, who is over and above everything, creator of the heavens and the earth, he's got the whole world. I thought you knew the words. I'm sorry. Can we put those up on the screen, guys? I don't think these guys know the words. The God of the universe would choose to become like you, to identify with you, to walk in your shoes, to know what you feel, to be that close so that he can identify with you and support you and be with you and be present with you through all of it. That's love. In fact, there's no greater love than this, that he would give everything, everything 
to be with you.